Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Jim is my favorite on the podcast. Kevin was always my favorite curler, and I'm warming up to Warren. (laughs) Hi again, everybody. Jungle Jim Jerome. It's another episode. In fact, it's number 18 of Inside Curling with the one and only world champion, world curling hall of famer, Kevin Martin. Warren Hansen, World Curling Hall of Famer. Did you ever win the Worlds, Warren? Uh, no, Jim. Oh, no, sorry about that. <laughs> Jim. I, I knew that. <laughs> but we got Hansen and Martin coming at you like we do each and every week. And uh, we got another great show for you coming up right now. Great guest uh, who we'll tell you about in a second. Uh, we want to thank, uh, as always, uh, all of our sponsors, Jackpot City, who brings you what is happening around the Curling World Coyote Tractor, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics. And Goldline uh, brings you In the House, which is our guest spot. And here's what's on the show today. The newly appointed Nolan Thiessen is coming on, uh, the CEO of Curling Canada. And uh, he's going to have to take on Hanson and Martin with his questions. And uh, that's coming up shortly right off the top of the show. What's happening around the Curling World, a number of playoffs for the Provincial Territorial Scotty's and Briar took place. We started giving you updates last week and on our special show. Uh, so we're going to review that. Also, the U.S. Nationals uh, will be played this coming week in, in New Jersey. Uh, so we'll take a look at that. And we have a note from Curling Canada about a new U15 rock fest. Wow, this is good news. They're getting the youth involved. Hot Rock Topics. Brought to you by Cody Tractor. Uh, we haven't done some emails in a while, so we're, we've got a pile of them, but we'll probably only get to one or two of them this week, but they're good. They're very, very good, uh, especially the one uh, Warren where they said they like me. So we'll go to that one first. Well, that's why I put that in there, just to boost your ego a bit. Thank you, Warren. Thank you. I'm gonna, I can't wait to read it, Kev, the girl. The, I was very sharp. What are we hearing? Uh, we talked a lot uh, over the last little while about the three-person team, which sort of happened by default, by accident. But uh, no one thought it would be good. Isn't that bad? They have three guys, but everyone's winning. Uh, again, this week in Ontario, the Glenn Howard team played start to finish with just three players, uh, and they won. And I think, was Glenn the guy who sat out, Warren, in that? Yes, he was. Yeah, he, he was. Throw, uh, don't think he threw one rock. So we better take a look at that and see what's going on. It's our guest spot. It's called In the House, brought to you by Goldline. Goldline. Curling's impact, brooms, maximize performance for carry, hold, and carve. Learn more at goldlinecurling.com. Our guest, and I want to talk to this guy because this is a big job. (laughs) Our guest is Nolan Thiessen, who is the newly appointed CEO of Curling Canada. So on your best behavior, please, Warren. Okay? All right. (laughs) Nolan, welcome to the big show, man. Welcome to Inside Curling. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me. I'm doing good. I'm yep. doing good. Yeah. Nolan, why did you want to take this job? <laughs> I, 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 I kid, uh, but, but 
it's at a time where uh, we've been doing this podcast for a, a long time now, and we get uh, topics are always have everything to do with with curling Canada. You know, you've got rule changes and and you know briar entrance and residency rules and eight ends, ten ends, uh, rankings, cresting. Uh, we want a piece of the table from the curlers. Where where did you start, Warren? When you uh, when you said, "Okay, I'll take this job." There's not there's not much to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, as you said, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of stuff that uh, you know that that we've got to do. I mean, I've always been someone who wants to get in the weeds and be a part of the solution. Right? Um, I'm not someone who's like, you know what, I'll I'll make it someone else's problem. I, I kind of said, I, I want to, I want to contribute. And, you know, as I kind of said to a lot of people, it just, you know, when I stopped playing and started working with the sport, like a lot of other people on this call is just like, I want to leave the game in a better place. Right. I want the game to be better. And, um, you know, that's, that's still my, you know, stuff every day. There's, there's big things to do, but, um, you know, I, I really care about the game, so I'm. I was, uh, I was excited for the opportunity, and as you kind of outlined, you know, the responsibility of it. Um, that's not lost on me. This responsibility, so I'm. Uh, you know, I'm. Uh, you know, I, I take it pretty seriously. This role. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, by the way, it's it, it's a big role. Um, did you have something in mind, uh, Nolan, when you when when you started taking the job uh, when you when you came on? That you said, I think I'm. I think I want to focus on this first. Is there something there? Well, I mean, there's some stuff from a processes stuff that we need to do internally at Curling Canada in terms of how we structure our business. Um, you know, like you know the fun stuff like budgeting and org charts and all of those things, right? I think you know, some of that stuff will set us up to be able to work with a lot of the partners. Um, I think for me, it's those stakeholder relationships, right? It's the ability to talk to everybody. It's to talk to the member associations and um, it's to talk to the players. It's to talk to the World Curling Federation, um, sponsors, TV broadcast partners, you know, and really understand all of their businesses and then try to find solutions that work for as many people as possible or, or, you know, like at least be able to describe to other people why you make decisions the way you make them. Right. So um, for me, I think that's probably the biggest thing is just working on those relationships to make sure that um, we're kind of moving the game forward. Well, let's bring in a guy who was uh, in Kevin who perhaps was curling Canada's nightmare at one time. <laughs> I remember it well. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, you're one to talk there, Hanson. Boy, this guy's got his hands full with the both of you. Yeah, go ahead, Kev. Boy, that's a long time ago now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know what? Back in, in uh, 2001, when it all started, I don't think we would have thought we'd be doing a podcast together, Warren. <laughs> that was quite the I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have thought it. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. Hey, Nolan, but thank you for coming on and congratulations. Um, I think it's pretty exciting for uh, somebody like me um, who looks at the game the way I do to have a top curler or used to be top curler um, as, as the head of, of curling Canada. I think that's great. Um, 
One thing, though, I want, I want to talk about with, uh, I guess, when it comes to trying to get into the national championship and, and, and on to the Worlds and mm-hmm. Olympics and all of the, the high-performance part of the sport, um, it's fairly interesting today that uh, we just I just looked. Um, on the women's side, uh, for an example, Team Brown playing Team Grandy in the final in BC, which is two really good teams. And then this morning, though, um, on b- both social media from both teams, but also looking at curling.ca, which is Curling Canada website, both teams are uh, Team British Columbia, Team Brown, Team British Columbia. So I guess the question when it comes to men's and women's, um, it seems like the, the final game um, didn't really matter in that particular situation because at the next morning, they're both... Uh, Team BC, uh, with their last name attached. Um, so, and I, I don't think it would have mattered, I believe, you correct me if I'm wrong, but had Grandy not won and Brown had won, it still would have been the same because they were neck and neck in the points race. Grandy wouldn't have been in. Oh, they had to win to, to get in. To be honest with you, Kevin, I, I 100% understand like kind of where you're going with that. It's a one-year deal. Because when we made the change last year, we worked through everything and it was just, it was so late in the year when we finally got to the point where we were at the solution where we were with 18 teams and we had to figure out, okay, so how do you get those three extra teams, so to speak, right? And we said, because of that, we just said, okay, well, we'll do this for one year where we've got the two teams pre-qualified and then there's going to be a team at the end of uh, provincials and, and the territorial playdowns. Next year, it's Team Canada, three three teams from um, the end of the Players' Championship, you know, the next three teams on, on the CTRS list, and then it's playdowns. And every single playdown will be winning you're in, losing you're not. I hear you because that always felt weird to me too when a team's playing in a provincial final knowing they're already in the Scotties or the Briar. Um but, you know, I think on a go-forward basis, that's not going to be the case. So I guess the next kind of obvious um, next step question for me is the, okay, so um, this year in Alberta, for example, you've got a Team Botcher that uh, didn't have, does not have to play in the Provincials next week. Uh, you've got Team Cooey that's already in the Briar playing in Provincials. So I guess my point is if if Kui gets in the final against, you name it, uh, Suchinski, Sturme, um, Vavrik, there's lots of really good teams in Alberta, and mm-hmm. they lose. So then you've got uh, Team Alberta Botcher, Team Alberta Kui, Team Alberta whoever beat them. Do they all get Purple Hearts? Because nope. like that's, that's what mattered nope. uh, to, nope. to, to a guy like me. Um, nope. You're trying to win the Purple Heart. So if you don't all get one, then Team Botcher is kind of in a bad position because they can't get one because they're kind so of a wild card what? thing. So that, that's kind of the, I, the only reason I'm asking this is actually I never even had it written down to ask you this stuff, except I got a couple of phone calls this afternoon when people were asking me, like, Kevin, like, what's going on? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I, I'll try to find out. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, Purple Hearts in men's curling were always the really big deal in Canada. But, 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 but I don't know. So... Who gets them, I guess? So that's so that's the difference now is that the provincial territorial winners get the Purple Heart, as they always have. Same with the Scotties. The provincial territorial winners, winners get that red heart 
that says 2024 champion on it. Um, you know, as always, the Team Canada um, gets a different one. So the Scotties winner gets a blue one. Um, uh, now the um, which so which we've changed. So the Team Canada's get a gold heart because it you know they're last year's champion. Botcher and and Dunstone and Homan and Jones get um, get different colored hearts. So they're not they don't say you know, provincial champion or anything. They say pre-qualified teams. Um, a 2024 qualifier, I think, is what it says on them. So, yeah, the, there is still... The the Alberta winners are the traditional blue and yellow, right? The Ontario winners are the traditional black and red. Um, and they have the, the traditional purple hearts and all of those things. But the other winners are... Um, you know, the qualifiers are still associated sort of with, with where they're from. And, um, you know, we, t- we talked a lot about that and, you know, like the players wanted that. I remember Matt Dunstone saying to me, he's like, I still kind of want to be called Manitoba, <laughs> right? Like there's still something special about that as well. So, um, but yeah, no, there's, there, uh, there, there's some differentiation there. Right. So the hearts would be a gold heart or a, a, a different colored heart or yeah. a purple heart, depending on how you qualified. Okay. In, in, interesting. I will get back to these people that are asking me today because they just noticed this morning when both yep. of the people that played in the BC final were all of a sudden both Team BC. So, Warren, go ahead, sir. Thanks for joining us, Nolan. So, let's let's switch into another topic here and maybe we'll come back onto some of this high-performance stuff. So, let's talk about what I think is probably the glaring challenge ahead for the sport in Canada is the facilities, the curling clubs, the curling curling rinks and uh, a lot of issues. We talked to uh, a lot of people who are managers, who people who are involved in the operations in various provinces. Some clubs doing really well, uh, many struggling. Big issue that keeps coming up is the cost of hydro and how that's crippling uh, a lot of the clubs. The other thing we find that they're they're simply not charging enough in their dues to have any reserve in, in, in existence at all. So if they end up having to replace a chiller or a roof, they end up being in financial difficulty and seemingly no way to bail out. And I guess probably one of the big challenges here, because we've lost so many clubs in the last few years, what is Curling Canada with the province is going to do and try to ensure that, never mind new clubs, that we keep the ones that are in existence operational? Well, I mean, there's a couple things. You know, one of them is... um, like I think a lot of what you're talking about too is this the strain on the system is the resources, right? There's lack of human resources, there's a lack of financial resources. You know, a lot of times to your point, clubs are, you know, volunteer driven. Um, so they're, you know, you're you're kind of reliant on on that. Um, you know, I think curling Canada is really looking at we need to also get out more people involved in, in using the business of curling. Um, you know, we have a, we have a program that helps support the member associations and support the clubs to run their clubs like a business, right? Like I think there's, you know, Bobby Ray who, who runs our club development and member services kind of side of the business. He was he's saying that like they did a um, survey and it was like, under 25% of the clubs in one region 
actually had a strat plan, right? And that's the type of stuff that we can support through the business of curling. So, um, you know, I, I guess the other, and then the other big thing is, you know, we got to look at the system and say, how are people going to consume the sport in the future? Like, I've had this theoretical discussion with people and I said, like, if, if in 10 years you have 10% less curling facilities, but 10% more curlers than you have right now, would you take it? Right. And, you know, nobody wants to have that discussion of like, Hey, I've got two middling clubs I put one, put them together into one club and maybe it's, a, and now it's a more th- thriving, successful club. Are we better off as a sport? I don't know. Like that's a really tough call. That's really hard to tell someone like some club that, you know, we're merging and it's not a curling Canada decision, but it's the stuff that we've got to support. Right. And, and find a way to just keep the, keep the, um, the system strong so to speak um and yeah to your point like it's that's the one thing that i i kind of fight too is is the the adage that um the sport's dying and all of that stuff like vivid had a had us at 2.3 million curlers which is uh you know people that played curling at least once last year which is the same number as pre-covid so you know i think people are just consuming it differently too you know, there's so that's what we've got to figure out is just how are people going to consume the game at the grassroots level in the future, and then service it that way. Um, that's that's really the to your point. That's one of the biggest things that we have to tackle. I, I think one of the big issues, and this goes back to one of my pet peeves for the early years I was there, was the member associations. In my opinion, are the ones that are really responsible for this area, but they kept dumping it off onto Curling Canada. I know Danny tried for years to get a per head assessment in a, of a reasonable amount, not two bucks, but probably 10 or 12 anyway. So there was at least some money to do something and it kept getting voted down. And so it gets dumped back to Curling Canada, but it really, in my opinion, needs to be a big round table discussion. And the, mem- the member associations are the ones that need to take the major responsibility for doing all this stuff. Maybe Curling Canada has to coordinate it. But they're the ones who have to do it. And I mean, look at other things that are, I think right now there's very exciting time for the sport because we've got a lot of new and exciting ways to play the sport that I think can attract new people, young, old, things stick curling, I think is way underrated. Um, doubles, triples, the, the whole sterling curling approach that's being used by stick curlers now, but it could be used by conventional curlers. And again, the great thing about it, it's very quick. And I think all of these are things that... Uh, need to be addressed and need to be looked at. And, and again, it's, it varies from club to club. And uh, mm-hmm. I know just in my own area here, there's two or three clubs that I know, you know, who's running them, they're doing really well. And there's others that are, I go in there and I feel like I'm walking into 1958. And uh, I don't know how this whole thing is approached, but I think something like stick curling is a way underestimated and why the member associations aren't really, and not just for older people, I think for anybody, it's a different game it's like pickleball to some degree. The, the other thing is I think the facilities have to figure out a way of being open longer than six months a year, whether it's they start bringing in pickleball as a substitute in the summer because of staff, because of costs. 
And again, mm-hmm. some clubs are doing this, but again, most of them are struggling because they shut the doors. So I think all these things, I don't know how you approach them, but I, I always have felt that the the MA simply haven't stepped up and taken a role in this that they needed to. Is that, and I know maybe you don't want to say that, but. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I think we have to work with our member associations, right? Like there are member associations. The clubs aren't direct members of Curling Canada, right? The clubs are members of the member associations and the member associations are members of Curling Canada. You know, we have to be able to work with them and create alignment and, you know, deliver programming that they can then deliver to the clubs as well. So, I mean, you know, we have to work with them and support them. We're all in this together. I hate the, you know, going out there and the blame game and let's make sure this it's this person's fault. Like at the end of the day, we're in the situation we're in. Everybody wants more people curling. Everybody wants more people. And and to your point, it could be stick curling. It could be um, mixed doubles. It could be, you know, para curling. We, we just want more people enjoying the sport. How do we get there, right? I think we we get lost in in sometimes in the delivery of some of that and and how we find alignment. So for us, it's we have to find alignment with our member associations. So we're all kind of pulling in the same direction, so to speak. Let's talk a bit about high performance. And this is, uh, this is again, a tough one because of how the curling world has evolved and what's happening now in, in major parts of the world. And as a result, Canada can't kind of sort of just slide in there like they once could and, and do well. It's a whole different situation. You hired David Murdoch, and we made an interesting note last week that at the Slam in Red Deer, three of the teams were from Scotland, but the average age was of the oldest, 29, the second one, 25, and the younger guys were 22. They have a whole different way of developing their high-performance teams. I know you guys are changing things a bit here with the uh, the high-performance teams that are giving direct entries, which is going to help, et cetera. But how do you see moving forward to... Uh, to make this whole thing better. And I get particularly looking at the younger guys coming up because it's very difficult now in the Canadian system. I think if you're a player just on the edge, particularly if you're a male player in a place like Alberta or a female player in Manitoba, you're going to have a tough time getting to the top. And I also even look at the smaller provinces where we feel like it's always being fair to them. But to some degree, it's unfair. If I was to look at a guy like Brent Gallant, if he hadn't left PEI, we probably never would have heard of him. Um, And he went... To Newfoundland, play with Brad. Now he's back in Alberta. Even Susan Goody, who was the same age roughly as Brent in PEI, never left the province, and she never was able to get any traction. So I look at those things as kind of how you guys look at uh, moving forward with the high performance uh, from what you're doing now, or do you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I think when you when you talk about like residency residency and um you know the provincials and territorials and how they qualify for the briar and the scotties that's one curling event right high performance curling is not just one curling event um you know kevin's team was one of the first ones that was like practicing all the time together and they would go and I remember hearing all about it from Mark and Ben and even Carter back in the day and Kevin would make the ice and then they'd try things. And you know what I mean? Like there's, it's the hard work that gets put in when nobody's watching is how you win medals. Um, That's how you, you know, you get better. 
Um, so from a curling Canada perspective, I think, I mean, we don't have all the answers, but it's, you have to find a way to have more resources in more places in the country so that you don't, you don't lose all of those athletes all over the place. Right. And, and to your point about Brett, like there's probably lots of different provinces and territories that have like a couple good athletes that maybe, yep. may, maybe can't have a team, but if we can find a way to make sure that they're not lost in the system, right. That they've got a, they've got a pathway to getting better. You know, I think we're a better system. We got to get that funnel as large as possible. That's what we're trying to do, not try to narrow it down. Um, but it's, it's all the hard work that gets put in. It's, it's not, um, you know, it, it, it's at the end of the day, it's not, it's not just how you qualify and then ultimately win the per- provincial. It's got to be made wider, but I think that's one of the complaints we hear ongoing. Uh, it's very tough to get uh, your foot on the upper rung. So if you're a tier two type of player right now, um, mm-hmm. let's say all the ones that lost this weekend. So this is the first of February. You know, there really isn't any events or things for them to to participate in for the next two, three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that that's needed for them to, to move along, to move down the line or any training camps or anything. So to some degree, that's the that's what I'm getting at here is how do you develop a uh, a feeder system? Let's, let's say similar mm-hmm. to what David Murdoch did in in uh, Scotland. You got to have more resources in more areas of the country. You, like you look at like a Krista McCarville, right? She's got one curling sheet at the Fort William Curling Club that prepares her for the Scotties. And, and, you know, I think Krista would even would love to travel and play a little bit more than she has in the past, but she can't because of various reasons. But they're always really competitive against the top teams in Canada when they get there because, you know, they've done a ton of training. They've got stones, they've got ice conditions, you know, they've got different things that provide them um, with what they need. We got to find a way to get more of that in more areas of the country. I think that's a replicable model, right? Where there's there's a bunch of different clubs that maybe have a sheet that has, you know, lasers, it has cameras, it, it's it got, you know, a ice maker of a certain um, um, level that, that you know is going to be able to provide the ice that they need and can touch up the stones when is needed. And that type of thing. So if they have the conditions to train properly to get better faster um, and and in more places and not have to just all go to one spot all over the country, I think, is is probably what we got to do um, if we're really going to we're really going to keep that funnel wide. Yep. Kevin. Yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, one more thing, I guess I want to talk to you about Nolan, uh, if we're getting into the, the funnel mm-hmm. <laughs> discussion, um, because you mentioned that, um, the one event, be it the Briar Scotties, women or men, um, doesn't re it's not all the whole year, but actually teams are set up that way because of the residency rules. So mm-hmm. you actually do have to set up due to one event, the team for a quadrennial. So that is, no, I, I do totally agree with you that we need a more training facilities, whichever, whatever that looks like, whatever that that model looks like uh, in the future. No question, um, especially with the juniors, we need them to be able to come to 
camps, uh, lots, uh, like other sports, be it softball or hockey, whatever the case may be. Um, we, we definitely need that. But the, I guess the, what do you see going forward as far as more junior curling, which you've, you know, that I'm, mm-hmm. I've always loved junior curling and being able to try to, to grow it, um, in the way of training camps across the country, and then being able to get athletes out of areas that are kind of like in softball in Canada, remote. If you're a good softball player in Alberta, that's a that's a in the world of softball, that's remote. In curling, if you're super good in in PEI at the age of 15, that's tricky. How are we going to get those kids on track? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess. What are your thoughts on that? Because that's really important. Oh, absolutely. But you know, I think one of the thoughts of that sort of regional training hub discussion is is that if you have more resources, there's more capacity for also the next gen to train, right? Like if we have more facilities in this country that have, you know, the necessary technology, the necessary ice makers and stones and everything to, you know, train properly. It's not like our national team program athletes are going to take over all of those facilities 24 seven. There's like, if you've got more facilities and you've got more capacity and that's what, you know, is happening in, in a place like Scotland where they've got the national training facility. So sure the top teams are there, but also the junior teams are there and they're training alongside of them or just after them and they're seeing what they're doing. I, I really think that's our way to kind of support that. Um, you know, we're going through some stuff right now from, a. um, reviewing all of our events to just like, you know, throughout the whole system to see, you know, what's the main principle of these and are we achieving it? Like, is there something that we have to do from an event standpoint for those youth levels to make sure that those kids do you don't get lost, so to speak? Yeah. Get them joined up, get them joined up with other really good kids yeah. someplace else. Just brings me back to softball where, uh, our our youngest Michaela would go yeah. to Saskatoon or to Winnipeg and go to camps where the top kids be you know, about 150 kids from all across Western Canada get together, and out of that tends to be your traveling teams, the various traveling teams. That's who they play with, not in their provincials, but in order to get recruited into universities, you need to play on these teams. And that's my concern: is that the kids that are kind of in remote areas, um, we need to get them out. Into the into the, to be able to be part of a really really good team, so they can continue forward. Because if they're a super good athlete and they see in the next three four years they're dead, they're not going to be able to win. Then they're unfortunately going to go to volleyball or you know. And I would say or reverse, like, are how can we be that sport for when someone's seventeen and they're you know they're sure. not right? You're you know you're a six foot four six foot five guy that uh you know you end up you don't get recruited for volleyball but you're really athletic and you've got like you know can you bring someone in at 17 um and and turn them into into one of the athletes that that could um you know make a difference for us when they're 25 26 well, that would be great so. bring in an emma miscue or a Majoner. Yeah, right. Yeah, you bring in, yeah, right. It was an emus, a volleyball player or something, but yeah. um, the Hulk, he could do whatever he wants, I'm sure. He's huge, right? Like, so, but that, that's what I mean is like, can we be the second sport? Like, Jim, my daughter played gymnastics. Yeah. And then she played volleyball, but like, you're kind of like, you might, you're sometimes done when you're 13, right? Like, how can you be that next sport 
that's the other thing that we got to try to do. Well, that would be great. Thanks a lot. Yep. Uh, Nolan, um, by the way, okay, in fairness to you guys where you're coming at them about getting the youth, you, you guys are announcing a U15 event uh, in March, right? Curling Canada. Yeah, well, actually, uh, four of them. They're yep. they're regional rock fests, U15 nice. rock fests. They're all over the country. So, um, yeah, we're really excited about those. We're, we're really looking at every stage on sort of the long-term curler development and, like, do we have something there for them that is sort of age and stage appropriate? Um, you know, I think it just naturally happened in the past. I think, you know, us trying to provide those opportunities more, I think, is going to help. Yeah, um, Nolan, the the image of curling, um, I, I don't think I'm overstepping here. I mean, the image of curling is, um, you know, that it that it's an older person sport. I don't want to say old man sport. Your Briars and your Scotties are, are definitely the Super Bowl, you know, of, of the sport for sure. Um, you know, Warren has always suggested, and Kevin as well, and just what we spoke about today is how do we get the younger people involved in it? How are we going to grow it? What is the biggest challenge to that? Um, you know, the, it wasn't too long ago the Briars and Scotties were in 15,000-seat arenas. They're certainly the Briar. I'm not sure about the Scotties. I love the concept. Uh, I love curling. Uh, I love the concept of this top golf. Uh, and I always said, I'd love to pay 20 bucks and get about 12 of my buddies and go fire some stones somewhere at a, <laughs> at a curling facility. Uh, and I always thought that would be cool for young people. Just my thought. But what, what is the biggest challenge for that, uh, Nolan? Or do you see it as a challenge? Or, or where's the sport going? Uh, I mean, yeah, you're, you obviously always want to have new fans and new curlers. Um, you know, it, I think every sport wants that, right? Um, you know, you, what you brought up there is, is interesting. They're, they're doing some of that actually a few places in the States, right? Like I know Nashville has a, they've got, uh, one facility that's got two bowling lanes, I think three curling sheets and then a sports bar all together. Um, you know, and it, and it's not a, you know, it's not a club. You don't sign up for a, for a two, four, six month membership. It's more like that sort of the bowling model. You want to go try curling, you go try curling, right? Um, you know, maybe, maybe there's something we can do there. Um, I think from, you know, a fanfare perspective, you know, I'm, I'm a sports fan, like a lot of people on this call and I look at watch other sports and I'm like, okay, so what, like, what's the driving factor, right? Like, is it, what is it? You know, everyone says, Oh, be the, you know, be like F1. And I said that, you know, the thing about F1 was, you know, everyone was very honest on those calls. Like every, that whole Netflix show, especially the first couple of years, there was such drama in it because, you know, like the team principals are sitting there going, if this guy doesn't get top 10 next week, I'm firing him. Right. And right. You're, you're sitting there going, I'm like on, I'm on like Wikipedia trying to find the like, you know, night 2019 <laughs> race to see if the guy got, I don't even want to watch the rest of it, but it's, it's that type of stuff, right? I think fans, you know, you got to give them a reason to care. And what is that reason to care? Like, is it, you know, sometimes it's flags, sometimes it's drama, sometimes it's just player personalities. Um, you got to find those different pressure points i think the game itself will bring curling fans if you want to bring sports fans and you want to bring people from outside of there 
you have to give them some other reason to sort of care. And that's what we're always trying to figure out. But Nolan, going forward, uh, when you look ahead, what will be the biggest changes that will happen in the sport? Well, if I knew it perfectly, I mean, I'd, I mean, I think I, I would yep, be good answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I knew it, I, if it was like hundred percent confirmation that ten years from now it's going to look like this, um, or if no, you had I to think, guess, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, I know. Um, yeah, I think I mean it. You know, where where's the game going? I mean, I think, you know, we have to find a way into, you know, the the newer parts of Canada or the, you know, the, the, the new people to Canada. And part of that is also us helping the WCF, right, or World Curling now. You know, they're doing a lot to try to expand the game globally, right, to have more people that know it, understand it, you know, when people come to Canada, if they've already if they already know about the game, they're more inclined to then maybe want to go try it because they know it it means something in Canada, right? Like, there's a lot of people that I've talked to that have said that. Like, it just it seems like this is a piece of Canada. So when I'm here, I should try to. Uh, um, so I mean, that'll be a big thing. It's it, that's the hard part about the curling Canada gig and the why I kind of love it is it's sort of twofold at all times, right? You're worried about the grassroots and you're worried about high performance at all times. You kind of got to keep them both um, in in each hand and you got to keep them balanced and you can't skew one too far from from the other. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. Right. Uh, Nolan Thiessen, uh, great job, man. It sounds like the sport is in really good hands that they've got a terrific guardian of the game that's what i like uh, <laughs> what you said i love what you said too about you know the because everyone concentrates on the brian and the scotties that that they're just one event you know so there, there's a bunch of other stuff to do nolan i am very easy to please okay the other two okay. guys they're a little tough okay they're a little tough warren and, and kevin okay <laughs> you need anything at all nolan you get a hold of me and i'll bring it on the show okay anything <laughs> at all man uh congratulations on the gig that's a big challenge not everyone not everyone would want to do it. And uh, boy, congratulations again. And thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And uh, anytime. Thanks, Noah. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Okay, boys, there he goes. Half kidding, you know, about a, about a big job. But uh, Warren, I, I guess go to you first. This guy's got his hands full, but I sure like him. I sure I sure like what he had to say. Yeah, they've got lots of challenges. Uh, I think more than probably Curling Canada has ever faced in, in what's coming ahead of them now because of the, I think, the issue within the curling facilities in this country and uh, trying to keep them full, trying to get more younger people involved. And of course, the situation of the national championships and is a traditional way of 
determining a Canadian championship going to prevail or is there going to have to be even more changes made going forward? Yeah. What do you take away from his comments, Kev? Well, I think uh, I think Nolan's sharp, sharp guy. Loves the game. You can tell the passion in, in his voice. He, he loves it. So, you know, he's got the best of intentions, and that's great. And uh, But, boy, oh, what a lot of work to do. <laughs> There's lots of fires around his feet right now. So, anyway, he'll, uh, he'll give it his best, no question. And we'll have him on the show lots and see if we can keep getting uh, all of our listeners' answers. You guys were well-behaved. He will want to come back. Uh, so there you go. Uh, thanks a lot, Nolan. And uh, we do it often. Uh, our guest spot uh, that we have on, and it's always the best, best people, and the and the at the peak of the game, and the people who are the decision makers or the gold medalists. Um, here we go. What's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Jackpot City. Jackpot City casino games, perfectly made for you. Uh, the provincial territorial playoffs. Got underway for the Briars and the Scotties. Uh, like I said, Warren, we started giving them updates last week, but you've got more to update us on, Warren. Yes, I do. So we're able to give you all the provincial territorial Scotties winners. So let's start on the east side of the country and move to the west. So in Newfoundland Labrador, Stacy Curtis defeated Brooke Godsland 13-5. to Stacy has been in the Scotties before. A newcomer in PEI, Jane DiCarlo, defeated Amanda Power 9-8. So Jane will be going to the Scotties, I believe, for the first time. In Quebec, Laurie Saint-Georges, who is going to her fourth Scotties, defeated Nomi Verolt 8-4. In Ontario, Daniel Inglis, who has been knocking on the door for a long time, but this year she didn't have to go against Rachel Holman, so she defeated Carly Howard to represent Ontario for the first time. The score was 8-7 to seven in that game. On the Canadian team ranking system today, Danielle is number 6. Northern Ontario, no surprise, and Kristen McCarville captured the Northern Ontario title for the 11th time. She defeated Kaistra Burns, 6-4. to four. A little bit of a change in that team this year. If you may remember, Andrea Kelly, who has been the perennial winner in New Brunswick over the years, Always has done quite well. She's now playing third in that team. So we'll see what happens with them. That's an interesting team because they play very little on the tour. They just practice a lot. But their current rank is number 22. But certainly if they were playing on a regular basis, it would be much higher than that. In Manitoba, Caitlin Laws came through, defeating Beth Peterson, 9-8. Another good young rink, Peterson. Laws is currently ranked number four on the CTRS. Alberta, breakthrough for Selena Sturme. She beat the defending champions, Kyla Skirlick, 6-5, and Sturme is currently number five rank uh, in Canada. In BC, the defending champion, Clancy Grandy, defeated Corinne Brown, 11-3, and seven ends. The Grandy rank is currently number 15, I believe, on the CTRS. And the last one, the Yukon, will be represented by Bailey Scoffin. So the wild card spots, um, if we look at the ranking and as to what has happened here today, I think we talked a little bit about that in the show with Nolan, about the fact that uh, Corinne Brown, although she lost the BC final to Clancy Grandy, uh, is going to be in the Scotty. So this is the way that has shook down. We talked last week, Rachel Holman, Jennifer Jones, Carrie Einerson were in. Caitlin Laws at number 4-1. Delina Sturmey won Alberta. She's in the Daniel Inglis won Ontario. Number seven, Kate Cameron lost in 
Manitoba, but she being the next in line on the wild card spot gets that gets that spot. And then Corrine Brown is number eight, so she gets the last spot. So as you remember, there are two spots available in the Scotties, not the Briar this year, the Scotties, because of Nunavut not sending the team. So that's the lineup. We today received from Curling Canada where the teams will be divided into various sections. We won't go through that tonight, but we will talk about that on the show next week. On the Briar side of things, Newfoundland Labrador, a little bit of an upset there. Defending champion Greg Smith was defeated by Andrew Simmons 7-5 in that final. In PEI, two new teams to my knowledge. Tyler Smith defeated Jamie Newsom 8-3, so Smith will represent PEI. Another bit of an upset, I think, in Quebec. Jean-Michel Arsenault down the defending champion Felix Aslan 7-6 in an extra end. Arsenault is currently number 28 on the Canadian team ranking system. And in Ontario, our old friend, the veteran, Glenn Howard, is now going to be making his 20th appearance at the Briar. He got there with an 8-7 extra end win over Jadine King, but Howard did not throw a rock in that championship as he's injured and was acting as the coach. They played with three players, and we're going to talk about that later in the show. He's faking. He's faking, (laughs) man. Currently ranked number 14 in the Canadian system. In Northern Ontario, again, a bit of a surprise. Uh, Trevor Benoit defeated the young up-and-coming Tanner Horrigan, 7-5. So that was a bit of an upset again, I think. In BC, Caitlin Snyder, who is certainly more familiar to us from mixed doubles than four-person curling, defeated Jason Montgomery, 5-2. The Snyder rank is currently number 17 on the Canadian system. And Jamie Coey, of course, we talked last week. uh, I guess it wasn't Jamie we didn't talk about last week. It was his sister. But Jamie's going to represent Northwest Territories for the 21st time, and he defeated Nick Certino 8-5 in the Territories final. So we still have playoffs to take place in the next uh, couple of weeks here in Alberta, Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, and Manitoba. Uh, And I do not know what's going on in Yukon or none of it, but we will let you know when we have that information as well. Right on. Kevin, uh, Kevin, there's a bunch of names there that I don't recognize. Uh... In, in both. Is this, uh, are there some new sheriffs coming into town? And do they stand well, a shot? Well, yeah, no, the, it depends. Well, it always kind of depends where you come from, uh, which province, and then how much you play. You know, Warren brought up a great point about some of the teams who practice a lot, train a lot, um, but don't play a lot. And, and game experience matters. So um, where you rank in the, not so much the Canadian ranking system, but I always look at the world rank where the teams are. Um it's kind of like in tennis, you know, you, you can have an upset, but boy, they don't happen very often. And curling's kind of like that now. The top teams are so good and they, they spend so much time on the road playing, but then they also spend almost every day practicing. So it's, 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 a, it's a big ask for teams that don't travel as much to win. It's just, it's really hard. It's, pro, it's, it's not really fair to expect it, to be honest. Um, just simply because of the, this, the amount of games the top teams play. Uh, at uh, in under high pressure, so they just sort of get used to it, and and they actually play better under pressure. No, I mean there's a it's a big avenue, Jim. I mean we've talked about that many times. A lot of those names that I read out that are coming there for the first time, you're going against Rachel Holman and Jennifer Jones and Carrie Anderson. I mean, uh, you don't have much of a shot. And I mean it's never mind that it's so there's going to be eight teams qualify, and we'll talk about it next week. But we can probably be pretty accurate in picking probably seven out of those eight in our selections and being correct. 
Well, you got all those teams, right? And you go, wow, there's what you know, there's a bunch of guys. There's more new guys than old guys. Yeah, but the old guys are really good. <laughs> you know, the other the other four or five. Uh, all you got to do is believe, Warren. Did you see where an amateur guy won the PGA event a couple of weeks ago? It was unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, yes, but again, uh, we don't know the story in his life either. How much time does he spend on the golf course? He may be living on it. You know, you don't know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it was a big story. Uh, allow me to uh, pass on a note from Curling Canada. Uh, advising us that Curling Canada is going to hold a U15 Rock Fest in March with over 300 youth between the ages of 10 and 15 uh, from across Canada are expected to be involved and can apply by submitting their scores on the new Singles Curling app. The event will take place over three days and feature an action-packed schedule of U15 singles competitions, triples, uh, skill development clinics, and many fun off-ice activities. Qualification deadline is in February. So we uh, brought that up with uh, Nolan, and uh, I think he said there's, is there four different events that they're doing? Like uh, combined? Four different locations. Yeah, cool. Uh, Anyway, there you go. Check that out. Uh, Okay, there we go. Congratulations to all the winners, qualifiers, for the, there's still more to come, as Warren said, for the Briar and the Scotties. Uh, Warren, this week the U.S. Nationals are going to happen. In New Jersey, uh, in sort of a unique setting, you told me, Warren. Yes, from what I know of this facility in Rutherford, New Jersey, it's very much like West Ebenon Mall, where there's an ice rink in the middle of the shopping complex, and that's where they're playing the U.S. Nationals. So it should be one to watch with regard to the location and if it creates any ice issues. Anyway, the way the U.S. Nationals are being run this year, both the men's and the women's have eight teams. They'll play a round robin, and then the top four teams will enter into a page playoff. So from where I think, sit the thing, the teams I think on the women's side that you want to watch will be Tabitha Peterson, Delaney Strauss, and Sarah Anderson. And on the men's side, John Schuster, Curry Dropkin, and Daniel Casper, I think, will be the ones again to watch. So I'm not sure, Kevin, uh, have I, I missed anybody there that you think is maybe an up-and-comer in that U.S. side of things, or do you think that's probably within the uh, reasonable scope that I've, I've brought up. Yeah, I think so. I think so. One thing that I, I really do appreciate down south is the uh, the youth. I think the Daniel Casper, they're, they're good. They're the real deal. You know, I shouldn't say Corey Dropkin's young too, but he's just sort of been around a long time, like kind of like Bruce Mowat. You know, you, you think Bruce is this old grizzled veteran. Well, he's only 29, for goodness sakes. You know, so, and, you know, Corey Dropkin's kind of like that too, him and uh, uh, Corey Teesey being uh, world champions of mixed doubles. You think they're old, but they're not. They're young too. So the U.S. US is in a good situation as far as the age of their top athletes right now, in my opinion. Yeah, they've got a couple of women's teams there too. I mean, that Delaney Strauss team, they played in what, one mm-hmm. or two slams. And certainly yeah. Sarah Anderson, she's been around for a while, but they're both young. Um, they could both do something, I would think. Absolutely. Yeah, lots and lots of depth at the young age. Time for our email segment, or what we call, uh, it's turning into our email segment. It's very good. Hot Rock Topics. Um, Brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, ZTRs, and compact construction equipment to do it. Coyote, we dig dirt. So this is how we go through the emails, Kev. I go, we got three or four here. I go, no, my name's not in there. My name's not in there. My name's not in there. 
Uh, oh, there we go. There's an email that we should read. Yep. First, uh, this is from Laurie. Laurie, and she is obviously brilliant, genius, I would say. First, I want to thank you for a great podcast. I listen to every episode. Jim is my favorite on the podcast. <laughs> Love his humor. Kevin was always my favorite curler, and I'm warming up to Warren. <laughs> uh, so are we, Laurie. So are we. Yeah, it'll take we're, you a while, so hang in there. Be we're trying our best. We're trying our best, yeah. Uh, anyway, she says, just wondering... And I like this. Has it ever been discussed about having a bond spiel where there is both men's, men's teams and women's teams playing in the same spiel? Or having the top teams play after both men's and women's top teams have been determined at the slams? I wanted more after the last slam and thought, wouldn't it be great if Homan and Retornas faced off? Uh, anyway, stay warm. Keep up the good work and talk in curling. As from Lori, she's in Flagstaff. Down in Arizona, I guess. Uh, Kev, what do you say? I don't know. That that'd be kind of cool. Well, we we actually uh, the skins game in uh, in Ontario a few years ago in Casino Rama, we actually played against Cheryl uh, Cheryl Bernard um, back in the day, and uh, <laughs> we're playing. And uh, first end, she made a beautiful shot. She wins the first skin. Okay, uh, no big deal. She beat you. Makes she she makes a beauty in the second end. Wins the skin. After four ends, she makes another shot, wins. She's won all four first skins. It's only eight-end game. So we're one skin away from being skinned. Yeah. And and she has, in the fifth or the sixth, she'd remember, I, I, I think it was coming home. So I, I think we probably carried over the fifth. And in the sixth, I remember she had like an angle raise of, you know, pretty long one, but 10, 12 feet. She had to stick it. But if she sticks it, she... She beats us. You get and Schneider's. It would have been, yeah. And it would, it would have been, we would have been down six skins to none. <laughs> but luckily she missed that one. We carry over seven. We win it in eight. Game's over. And there's no, you know, the, the big story didn't happen. But Jim, it could have, and it probably should have. Because, uh, you know, most times she would make that shot. So anyway. That's probably where you're really going, fun. Kevin. This is a bad idea. After you're down four ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait a minute here. Yeah. But anyways, um, yes. Uh, we we have done it before. There have been events in the past where where both play um, in events, so it doesn't happen very often. Right, but there certainly are, and uh, it's not impossible. Um, but kind of like everything else, it's it's really tough. You tell you know Team Holman against Retornas. You know, Majan is a bit of an advantage <laughs> right. when you got him on the broom. You know what I mean? So it's kind of hard to to make that up as Rachel Holman, of course, is an awesome curler, but so is Joe Retornas. But when you've got the sweeping power of Sebastiano and, and, uh, and, uh, right. And Amos, that's a lot to, that's a lot to make up in a game. Yeah. Warren, the other, uh, John McEnroe got in trouble the other day. They asked him who the best tennis player in the world was. And he said like Federer and the girl said, well, what about Serena? And he said, well, what about her? You know, and he said, well, how can't she be in the best tennis player in the world? And he said, no, <laughs> he said, he ended up saying, Warren, if if she played, you know, Nadal, uh, he would win seven hundred times straight, you know. And he got they all they all freaking kicked up a stink and all that stuff. Um, so there's a terrific imbalance. You can't you can't have women playing men. Can you do it, Warren, in curling? Is or is it going to be so lopsided that 
Not necessarily. There's a, there's some history here. And Kevin, here's maybe another thought for us to create the battle of the sexes. We could get the four top women's teams and the four top men's teams and go at it. Could be interesting. Go go back, way back in time, way, way back. Remember the name Orist Melischuk. So Big way old. back. Yeah, Orist won the Worlds in 1972 under a little bit of a controversial situation with the USA, which we won't get into. But back in those days, CBC had an event called the Curling Classic that they taped in October of every year, and then they ran it once a week throughout the fall. I think that went up until into the early 80s, actually. So they decided they were going to have the Battle of the Sexes, because at that point in time, Vera Pezzer from Saskatoon had won, I believe, her fourth Canadian championship in about three year, uh, five years. So they decided they're going to have on CBC Curling Classic, Vera Pezzer, the perennial Canadian women's champion playing the current world champion, Oris Meloschuk. So the interesting thing about that game, in the end, by my memory, Oris did lose. And uh, he was down. But he would have taken it really well, Warren. Well, but, you, but this is a story. This is I know this is a family show, but i got to tell this story. So anybody who knows Oris, the character that he is, and the things that can come out of his mouth. So this is with RF mics. We're just becoming a reality. So it's about the eighth end. <laughs> And the score had turned a little bit in Oris's favor, and he's heard on the RF mic at the other end saying to his third Dave Romano, Dave, I think we got him by the balls now. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And then Ed Wernick at the 1986 Worlds in Toronto, uh, through quite a bit of fanfare again, he played a game on Saturday Night of the Worlds when there was nothing else going on against Marilyn Bodo. And uh, he won that game, but again, it was uh, there was lots of fanfare associated with it. So it's happened, and maybe that's another little novel thing to uh, to try to get done. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, there we go. Thanks a lot. Email us, uh, insidecurling at gmail.com, insidecurling at gmail.com. And Laurie, if you keep emailing, we'll read yours every week. Uh, here we go, the final segment. Uh, that was Hot Rock Topics, and now we're on to What Are You Hearing? Uh, this is a good one. Because this is going to be in the conversation around the water cooler for a little while, I think. So once again, this week, a team made it all the way to the Ontario final for the men's championship, playing with three players. It was Glenn Howard's team, but he wasn't playing, and they did not have a substitute. We've talked about this on a bunch of occasions uh, previous. Uh, And there's a bunch of chatter on social media, and we got emails suggesting something should be done to stop this. Matter of fact, uh, we were forwarded rules from a Toronto club on how they handle all this. Warren, is the is the game crumbling as we speak, Warren? Well, we've talked about this two or three times now, and I think it's going to have to be addressed because uh, teams that are going with three aren't exactly doing poorly. So the Toronto Curling Association, which is not just a club, it controls curling in the Toronto area, recently ran their championship and uh, the rules that they have with regarding three players, only one game can be played with three players. Penalties are assist for, assist for the second. In all subsequent games, you start with three players. One end is considered to be played. The non-offending team gets two points for the first. And in the second end, they get the hammer. So I don't know. Maybe that's a, a, little, a little drastic. Uh, maybe... They give up the hammer automatically if they only have three players. Kevin suggested maybe they only throw seven rocks. 
maybe go back to the old days that the first player has to throw four stones and the next guy in line, the third player, throws two that they normally would. That's the way it was for years. And again, maybe that would take away any aspect that it, uh, that it might be an advantage. Or maybe we just simply look at changing the game from four players to three. Maybe we've had one too many players here all along. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Kevin? Well, I, I, I like curling as a four-person game. I do. Uh, but but it is an advantage, I think. You've got people that are so good at jumping from side to side. That's another thing that could probably happen. I'd love to hear from our, our fans um, that are listening in. We I had a great discussion with one of the board members of the World Curling Federation yesterday for quite a while about this. And they are bringing it up at a board level. So the more information and more ideas that we could get into inside curling... I promise we'll we'll get them out to the uh, the the powers that be. There's no question about that. Um, just one other thing though that we talked about was with sweeping in regard to sweeping. Somebody like a, like a, a Corey Dropkin is a good example from mixed doubles. He he can jump from one to be you know powerful one way to the other to the other on one side to the other. Maybe we just make sure that no sweeper, whichever side of the rock they decide to start on at the beginning of the curling delivery. They can't cross the halfway point. They have to stay uh, on their one side of, of the direct line behind the stone to the hack. And that way, you can only be um, powerful on the one side for each individual stone. It would make it much more difficult to keep it straight and then jump over to carve. But it again comes back, it's another thing you're going to have to watch. And if somebody violates it, then what happens? It's like the whole issue. Also, be getting a lot of emails lately about curling on television. Why are there four people in the house all the time and four people are trying to skip? And well, back in the old days, they, they weren't supposed to be four people in the house. And, and well, Ben Heber doesn't go down and do, do that talks too much, does he? <laughs> well, certainly the guy I played for, there was only one skip. And I think your teams were more or less the same way. So <laughs> we got too many skips. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Um, it's funny you say that, Warren, because uh, we'll read the email next week that, that someone was a little upset about what happened uh, during a curling thing. Good teaser, eh? That's called a teaser, Kev, for the show. You know what? Maybe, maybe you just have Retornas throw every rock of every end. Okay, let's well, get Well, that's what I was thinking. So yeah. why, why not just have it two people? So you could maybe have the first guy throws one rock and he goes down and holds yeah. the broom and the next guy throws the other seven. There, What's wrong exactly. With that? Yeah, there we go. We'll be done in about 10 minutes. It'll be good. Uh, speaking of, uh, you know, if you, if you take a cab, Kevin, okay, you can't reduce it from, uh, you know, one cab driver down to nothing. Okay, you need to have a cab driver, okay? Except, Warren, I was just spent a week in Phoenix, as you guys know. I'm at the airport, I'm waiting for my Uber, and what drives in front of me? A driverless car. Yeah, it's called Waymo, and I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I look, yeah, it's a, there's no one in it. You, you call for it just like you do an Uber, and I said, are you got it? I, not on my life am I getting one of these things on, on, a, on a freeway. So I phoned, I phoned one up. I said, I got to check this thing out. My cousin lives in a very quiet neighborhood. So I, I phoned the thing, and I only booked a ride for three blocks just to check it out. And then I walked home. What was home. it like? What was it like? They're unreal. Yeah, they're unreal. It's a little goofy. Like, it's a little nerve-wracking with the speeds and stuff. But they're on the freeway and everything. Yeah. So what the hell is this world coming to? Anyway, there you go. 
because uh, I was going to be an Uber driver, and now I can't. You know, they don't need drivers anymore. I'll tell you what, it caused my heart rate. I was just, I was absolutely, <laughs> I was doing it. I'm not ready for it. I'm not ready for it. Uh, there you go. That's a wrap on the show. Uh, another good one. Thanks a lot to Nolan Thiessen for coming on. Your new CEO at Curling Canada. He's got uh, got lots on his plate, and uh, but I think they're in good shape with him. We also would like to thank Rod Paulson, his company, In-House Strategies. Uh, the reason the show is so good, uh, and you know Warren Warren writes a lot of the scripts, writes all of them with all the topics, but but Rod handles getting it out to the masses uh, with our Facebook. And uh, thanks a lot, Rod, for all you do. Again, his company is In-House Strategies. If you don't belong to our Facebook group, uh, get in there, join, drop us a note, drop us a line. Uh, Warren answers a lot of that stuff and makes comments. Again, email us insidecurling at gmail.com. Thank you very much to Jackpot City, Coyote, Coldline, who make all of this possible. As you were, fellas. Kev, I'm going to go uh, buy some sunblock. 10 degrees here today, Warren, in Edmonton. As, as Kevin said, and f- minus 52 next week. <laughs> Take it easy, fellas. Have a good week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Inside Crew. See you, Warren. See you, Kevin. Thanks, Thanks, Jimmy. Jimmy.